Hi, listeners of Crime Scenes and Cupcakes. Allow us to introduce ourselves. I'm Beth. And I'm Bailey. And we, we are, are True Crime b and We do a podcast every week. We release on Fridays. And every week we'll bring to you two different true crime stories. First we'll bring you a disturbing story. And then one that will hopefully uplift your spirits a little bit. We'd love to have you listen to our <laughs> podcast. Yeah, so join us every week on Friday. Find us anywhere you find your podcasts on Spotify, Apple, Google Podcasts, I don't know anywhere else. <laughs> <laughs> and also you can find us on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook at True Crime BNB. Did we even mention that we're mom and daughter? No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you join our crime family. Bye. Bye. The Social Detective is an independent podcast. It covers information for awareness and educational purposes only. It can cover information that can be extremely triggering and disturbing to individuals. We can cover information about violence, sexual assaults against children and adults, murder, and other very violent depictions. There can also be use of graphic language. So please listen accordingly. If you or someone you know is in crisis, you can always contact the number 988 for assistance. Hey guys, it's Mary Ann, Dog Mom Baker, True Crime Podcast Maker, and I am so sorry. I have been out of touch yet again But I appreciate all of you who have continued to support us in the archives, share the unsolved cases, and give the victims a voice. For those of you who may not be aware, or maybe have stumbled across one of the episodes in the archive, 10 years ago, this month, I had a stroke, which led an eagle-eyed cardiologist to notice I had been living with non-compaction cardiomyopathy. For those of you who may not know, that's a rare congenital disease of heart muscle, and it can affect both children and adults. It results from abnormal prenatal development of heart muscle. It's a fancy way of saying, yeah, you're born with it. It's not something that develops later on. And when it develops, You know, our heart muscle is normally like a sponge when we're first born and as it develops. And as we get older, that heart muscle smooths out and becomes that really tough muscle that keeps us going and allows us to live. But for those of us who are born with non-compaction cardiomyopathy, there's a failure in that process. And it leads to something that's called compaction and these things called trabeculations. And it causes a problem of our heart being able to beat or do the things it's supposed to do normally. Now, one thing I didn't find out until fairly recently is that with this abnormality, it's possible to have severe congestive heart failure, which Hello, that's me. But that condition is present even at birth. It's not something you have 
that develops later on, which is what I thought happened to me. It's actually, if you have it, you've always had it. It just doesn't present itself later on in life because when you're younger, your body's able to basically diffuse the symptoms. Your younger self is able to deal with the congestive heart failure. Your body is able to mask some of the symptoms, but the symptoms still come out. And it's really weird because that's what happened to me. And it's why so many people failed or refused to believe that I had a true medical condition most of my life because I wasn't overweight. I was extremely active. I participated in kickboxing, taekwondo, and I had a job where I was extremely active and I went through multiple physicals. But there were times in my life where I would feel like my heart was just racing and beating in my ears and people would go, oh, you're just, you're freaking out. You're just having anxiety. Calm down. And I'm sure those who are struggling with mental health issues, they hear that a lot. Oh, just calm down. You're fine. You're overreacting. And it's like, no, I feel like I'm going to faint. Oh, you're just freaking out. Calm down. And then there were times I actually fainted. But, oh, you're just being a drama queen. There's nothing wrong with you. Oh, you have a migraine. That's all it is. You have migraines. And then we find out later in life, oh, no, my heart wasn't working correctly. And, you know, you kind of want to point the finger. You kind of want to blame people. But then I find out, no, a lot of times this heart failure doesn't present itself until much later in life. But again, I had a stroke 10 years ago and this amazing cardiologist, when they did the echo, he spotted it. And he was one of the few who had research because this is an extremely rare disorder. With it is you get breathless. You become really short of breath and you get tired easy. Now, when you're younger, you don't really pay attention to it as much. You take moments, you take a break, okay, you know, whatever, you just move on. You might get some swelling in the ankles here and there, but you rationalize it. Oh, I must have sprained it, I must have this and that, yeah, it's okay. But then you start noticing, oh, you know, I'm starting to get limited physical capacity and exercise-induced asthma. That's what it is. I'm not having congestive heart failure. It must be exercise-induced asthma, right? So you take an inhaler. Makes sense. But you put all of these things together, which we didn't do because it was happening over a period of 20-some-odd years. But it leads me to want to talk about another, which is the most prevalent condition. And a lot of people, I get really frustrated because again, people kind of lump what I have in with heart disease. It's nothing like heart disease. And actually the two conditions that are very prevalent with non-compaction cardiomyopathy are tachyarrhythmia, which are an extremely high heart rate. And I am talking about extremely high heart rate, which is why they put in a defibrillator and a pacemaker. But this extremely high heart rate also leads to sudden cardiac death, which means that 
you could be going along and your heart suddenly stops working. And it's incredibly terrifying. And also you, which is what led to my stroke, you get blood clots of the heart. And, you know, I've had pulmonary embolisms here in my past, and it, it's a common disorder with what I have. And you, when you become short of breath, part of the things you start to wonder is, oh, my God, do I have a blood clot in my heart, in my lungs? Is that part of what's... And then you t add on top of my situation where I actually have a clotting disorder where my body doesn't react with most of the clotting meds out there. Woohoo! Love genetics. So, one of the main reasons I wanted to bring this up is over 60 million women in the United States are, however, living with some form of heart disease. Heart disease is the leading cause of death for women in the United States, and it can affect women of any age, any age. In 2021, it was responsible for the deaths of 310,661 women, or about one in every five female deaths. Research has shown that only about half of United States women recognize that heart disease is their number one killer. Now, looking at our statistics of who listens to our podcast, it's mostly women. So I'm talking to you. Please look for the symptoms. Now, Heart palpitations don't usually present themselves in women the same way they do men. Now, yes, a lot of times you will get the chest heaviness or discomfort, but a lot of times it'll present as pain in the neck, jaw, or throat. Then, actually, a lot of times it's also pain in the upper abdomen or back. When you have that, that actually could be a heart problem. So please, if you're having these when you're resting or when you're active, it could be a heart condition. Also, if you're having nausea, vomiting, or tiredness that just won't go away or feels excessive, please get yourself to your doctor. Have an open and honest conversation. I know it's terrifying, but we want you around. We want you around to continue listening so we can spread awareness about these cold cases. We need you, you social detectives, so please take care of yourself because we love you and we want you here in the future. Now, today we're going to talk about another type of killer, one that we hope will be brought to justice sooner rather than later. We are discussing the case of Shauna Beth Garber, who was also known as Grace Doe. Now, I want to start this off with a statement because her case has been in the press a lot. But her case has been, but not her face. It has been the face of Dennis Rader, which I do find a little triggering. Those of you who live in the Kansas area, a lot of you will find that triggering. We've seen how it's impacted the victims firsthand. We've seen those lives lost. Those are our neighbors. Those, that's our community. As it is with so many other family members, friends, loved ones who have been impacted by gun violence, homicide, all of these horrific cases that happen across the world. 
And when you see these type of monsters get the front headlines, we know it's triggering for all of you. And we want to try to combat that. So we want to spread the victim's faces and the victim's name. I want to go into this case a little bit deeper, but like I said, I want to start with a statement. For those of you who are following the headlines and who might have noticed this case. Now, those who have brought it up and who are correlating this case to Dennis Rader, because I have been following this case, but I've been following it for Shauna Beth Garber, not for the monster. And the Osage County Sheriff's Office in Oklahoma is who's made this correlation because they were looking into a missing person and we covered that case in the archive of Cynthia Kenny. We haven't heard directly from the investigators on Shauna Beth Garber's case making this correlation in any press releases or anything released like that. As we stated prior, the investigation has begun when a sheriff by the name of Sheriff Eddie Verdon of the Osage County Sheriff's Office and his team had begun reviewing journals of Dennis Rader. Again, I'm not going to speculate on their investigative techniques, but I will say that entries led them to search Dennis Rader's property here in Kansas, and that led to finding pantyhose as well as other items. And all of this has been sensationalized, and those articles and videos are available online if you want to look at those. I'm not going to sensationalize Dennis Rader anymore or anything to do with that. I want to deal with the facts of this case that has been brought to light by the investigators. And I want to keep Shauna Beth Garber's story out there and all the work that those have put in there to give her her name back and to try to bring justice for her and possibly other victims involved. Now, for more than three decades, Shauna Beth Garber was known only as Grace Doe after her body was discovered behind an abandoned farmhouse in southwest Missouri in 1990. Investigators gave her that nickname because only by the grace of God would they be able to identify her. But then in 2020, the McDonald County Sheriff's Office partnered with Othram to use advanced DNA testing and forensic genealogy to establish an identification of the closest living relatives to the decedent. Now, for those of you who may not be aware, Othram is the world's first private DNA laboratory built specifically to apply the power of modern parallel sequencing to forensic evidence. Funds to support the case were raised on the DNA Solves crowdfunding platform we are going to be providing links to this crowdfunding platform on our social media because it is so important what they do to solve other cases and to help other families and other victims. Additionally, 
Huge thanks go to the generous gifts from donors who support experimental learning opportunities for the Southeast Missouri State University students and the University Foundation that contributed a substantial amount of the funding because these students, they were learning about records research by searching missing person databases for people who matched the updated biological profiles that they developed. And they got to learn firsthand about specialized microscopic analysis. And this was thanks to a collaboration with Dr. Amy Michael of UNH. Then on January 2021, the Sheriff's Office received information from Othram Inc. that there were candidate relatives identified for Grace Doe. These candidates were identified through the genealogical research performed by Othram's in-house research team. Othram asked the Sheriff's Office to contact the candidate relatives and investigators, and they made contact with Danielle Pixler, who was on the genealogical tree developed by Othram. These things don't happen overnight like they try to show in these news articles. There was so much work that went into it. Now, Danielle stated that she had been the half-sister of one Shauna Garber and that they had lived back in Garnett, Kansas. And then they went into foster care. Danielle had lost contact with what happened with Shauna after she had left foster care. And she had been looking for Shauna for over 28 years. She also described how Shauna Beth Garber unfortunately dealt with violence for most of her life. Danielle shared moments about their childhood in the 70s. Shauna was the youngest of three children living in Topeka, Kansas with her mom and dad and their two brothers, Rob and Roger. And one day, Rob and Roger were gone at school, and their mother decided to pour lighter fluid on Shauna and then set her on fire. Even though Shauna's mom had repeatedly abused all three of the children, they had continued living at home. But it was after this incident, that's when Child Protective Services stepped in and decided, oh, okay, this is a problem. Maybe you shouldn't be setting children on fire. And then they decided to put them all into foster care. And they went to different homes. Now, Shauna's mom, though, she just moved on and started a new life. She got remarried and had another child. That child was Danielle Pixler. Then, 18 years, Shauna Beth Garber, after escaping an abusive mother who had set her on fire. She unfortunately encounters another truly evil person. But this time, Shauna is unable to escape. But her killer? He's remained loose after all of these years. In a lot of the articles, they talk about a couple being the ones that find Shauna Best's body. However, going all the way back it's finally found that it was actually a young man who had first come across her body.
and his story and hopefully finding evidence is finally brought to light. Shauna Beth Garber's remains were found in Lanigan, Missouri in the McDonald County. Now, this young man, he and some young relatives were outside on Oscar Talley Road in Missouri on Halloween night in 1990. They were headed to a Halloween party when a black pickup truck with a white stripe down the side, it goes flying by. And he described the color as faded. And he believed the vehicle to be around the 1970-ish. And he said the vehicle was moving at a high rate of speed, which is what first caught their attention because it's small town, small town roads. You know, when vehicles are moving fast on a small town road, you notice. And not only that, the young man had said, the truck had a really loud muffler, which made it impossible to ignore. He tells police that he recognizes most of the vehicles that come and go down the road, but he didn't recognize this truck. And he sees the truck go flying down the road with his other relatives, and it goes flying down the road to an abandoned farmhouse. And it pulls up in front of that farmhouse, which was approximately 25 to 100 yards from where they were standing. And he sees the truck stop, and then he hears the door open. And he will never forget it. Not long after that, he heard blood-curdling screams. And he estimates that they went on for about 10 minutes. But then they abruptly stopped. He hears the door shut and the pickup, it moves off again on down the road. Now, the next question you might have is, oh my God, why didn't they tell somebody? Well, they did. These boys went on to tell their parents and tell adults what they had heard, what they had seen. But it was Halloween night and it was the 90s. Nothing truly bad happens in the 90s, right? No one's going to take this seriously. It was a prank. That's what the parents were saying. There's no way anything that crazy or bad is going to happen in a small town on Halloween night, right? But according to this now adult man, the abandoned farmhouse was well known to the area kids. Kids would use it as a hangout. It had a root cellar and weeds around the house, and so it's a good place to kind of hang out. Nobody would notice you. The land around the farmhouse was deserted, and locals would kind of discard the unwanted pieces of animals that they hunted. So it wouldn't be unknown for anybody to kind of smell stuff rotting. It's not unusual. Now, when he stumbled across Shauna Beth Garber, he described seeing her rib cage, backbone, and skull with some brown hair attached. He also remembered seeing that she was wearing jeans, a t-shirt, and he saw what he remembered as green clothesline. He also remembered seeing a foot and a tennis shoe. He said her body was left out in the open with no attempt to hide it or even cover it. Lieutenant Michael Hall is now the lead investigator on this case, and they are hoping others 
might come forward, who might have seen something around that evening. They might, with some of the new information, they might have had contact, might remember some of the things. It's believed that Shauna may have been living in the Joplin, Missouri area in 1990, and she might have also gone by the name Cheryl. At The Social Detective, we want to make sure the information that we're getting out there on Shauna Beth Garber's case isn't sensationalism. It's not trying to grab a headline. It's from the McDonald Law Enforcement. It's in order to pursue justice for Shauna and have the correct information. The autopsy was unable to provide a cause of death due to the amount of decomposition and deterioration of her body. Of course, the bindings, that was important. And it did make them believe that it was a homicide, obviously. There's also not a mention of a sexual assault, but again, it's due to the decomposition of her body. They're unable to make exact determinations, even though it is a likely scenario. However, the wording of the report appears to describe Shauna as clothed when her body was located, citing a blue jean jacket containing arm bones, blue jeans containing pelvis, legs, white athletic shoes, which were seven and a half, containing skeletal remains of a foot. There was abundant amount of soft tissue, muscle, and skin on the lower pelvis, as well as the upper and lower extremities. However, I would like to put this out there, and it's the same question I had in Krista's case. Could a killer put the jeans back on after a sexual assault? Or is it possible that the farmhouse was not the primary crime scene? Obviously, a killer could have assaulted and bound Shauna elsewhere then finished his intentions at the farmhouse. As I had said earlier, the way Shauna Garber was bound is an important piece of evidence. Someone had hogtied her in six types of bindings. They were initially thought to be a common 550 paracord. Actually, it's an MILC 504OH type cord. That's military issue. And it was very unusual to find at that time laying around local farms. What makes this type different is that instead of the normal seven strands, it has four. With most military issue paracords, this one had a color code on the inside of one of the strands that helped identify the manufacturer. And they believe, and they were able to track it, excuse me, they were able to track it to a company called Continental, which in the early 1990s, it pretty much exclusively sold it in the U.S. military. That's a huge clue right there, and it narrows down the suspect pool. It tells them that it's someone local, and those other type of cables that they found as well, there was some black cable, like you remember the old Cox cable when you first got your TVs hooked up to Cox cable for you older, more mature people like me? They were one of those. So maybe somebody caring or working for a company that had access to those, because again, 
It's 1990, not where a lot of people would have those. Again, we're reaching out if anybody might know of or have information of something like that. Her killer has never been caught. However, it's not just the identifying bindings that were a hurdle to go forever. They had to go since 1990 to 2021 to find her name. That's so many lost years to identify Grace Doe as Shauna Beth Garber. Her family spent 28 years looking for her while she was there waiting. But law enforcement never gave up. Her family never gave up. Yes, there may be backyard investigators taking a look at this case. Law enforcement has never given up. They are still piecing all of that information together. Lieutenant Michael Hall is now the lead on the case. However, due to all the hard work that Detective Lori Howard did, the other officers with McDonald County Sheriff's Office, they worked with Othram Inc., Southeast Missouri State University students, Dr. Jennifer Bingston, Dr. Amy Michael of UNH for 31 years to get Grace Doe her name back and to further her case towards justice. They also worked with the Topeka Police Department to get Danielle Pixler's DNA to them so that they could finish out the forensic genealogy. So even though there is sensationalism in the news now, I want to identify all the hard work that those investigators have put in and we will continue to deal with the facts of the investigation and if Lieutenant Michael Hall does any updates, we will make sure to update listeners. But if you have any information that could help with the investigation, you can call the McDonald County Sheriff's Office at 417-223-4319. Just ask for Lieutenant Michael Hall. Thank you guys so much for listening. Share these cases, share this information, and remember, it's about the victims, not the ones that commit the crimes.